There once was a town high in the mountains that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and ducks swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand because the water was so fresh. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived a man who served as the keeper of the springs. He had been hired a long time ago, and no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, the man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children played again on its banks, illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is the soul, and you are the keeper. The stream is the soul, and you are the keeper. What kind of shape is your stream in? Why does it matter? It matters because the general happiness of your life has everything to do with your soul. The general happiness of your life has everything to do with your soul. And too often when we think about our happiness, we think about the outer life, the outer world. We think about our reputation. We think about our appearances. We think about the things that we have in this world, the stuff of our lives. But true happiness has to do with God, and that has to do with your soul. Today and for the next five weeks, we're going to be exploring the soul, investigating the soul. We'll, of course, use the Bible, and we'll be using a book that has been very influential in my own life called Soul Keeping. Imagine that. Soul Keeping by Pastor John Ortberg. It's significant for me because when I was going through my hardship a year ago, uh, when, I had, when I was ill after surgery, dark time for my life, this was the one thing that I read in addition to the Bible 
and it really helped transform my time and my recovery, thinking about the soul. So let's jump into the first session today. The question for today is, what is the soul? And so in order for us to think about that, let me ask you some other questions. Do you like change? What makes change so hard? If you're a Christian, maybe you read the Bible regularly, and maybe you pray regularly. Let's hope that you do. But do you see the change that you want in your life as a result of that? Do you ever get jealous of other people that when you look at them, you see them as more successful than you? Would you say that you are satisfied where you are in this life? Do you sometimes, and maybe even right now, feel a deep sense of loneliness, a desolation? These are all questions of the soul. Now, we may not know much about or about what we think the soul is, but the concept is out there. In fact, it's prevalent in our society. People talk about soul food. Uh, you may have a soul sister, or you may say, that's my soul brother. When Wes Welker was still a wide receiver for the New England Patriots, Tom Brady at that time in 2010 said that Wes Welker was the soul of the New England Patriots. Surely, you've seen Homer on The Simpsons, right? And Homer once sold his soul for a donut. And then, as you might guess, Homer impulsively eats almost all of his donut and realizes before he's done that he's eating his soul. So he stops with the last bite and he puts it in the refrigerator with a little note on it that says, this is my soul donut, do not eat. Maybe you've seen one of the stranger things on eBay where people have tried to sell their souls. And the whole conversation around abortion revolves around the question of when does life begin? Does the fetus have a soul? Plato, that ancient philosopher, believed that souls were reincarnated based on how, the, how you lived your life now. You got reincarnated incarnated something different in the next life, and this is a philosophical stance that is prevalent in many of the world religions today. Maybe you are aware that the car company Kia has a little car named what? The Soul, or just Soul. And the universal distress signal is SOS. Do you know what SOS means? It means save our souls. I think if most people were asked, they would say that, yeah, I believe that humans have a soul. We think it probably matters. We suspect it's important, but we're not sure what it means. Soul is one of the most important words in the Bible. But if you, asked, if you were asked to explain exactly what does that mean, what would you say? What is the soul? When I was a little boy, I was taught this prayer by my mom and my dad. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Thy love be with me through the night and wake me with the morning light. That's the way I was taught it. I have since learned that there is a uh, newer uh, original version of that, that I, after I heard the original version, I was glad that they changed the version because the original version says, now I lay me down to sleep. 
I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Uh, if I should die before I wake, the Lord I pray my soul to take. And I submit to you that, that praying that prayer as a little kid would be challenging because I don't want to go to sleep now because somebody's going to come and snatch my soul while I sleep. In the story of Adam and Eve, we find out that God breathed life into them. That word, breath, or breathe, the ruach, is a, is a Hebrew word that literally means that God poured his spirit, his soul, into you. It is the only part of you, the only part of you, that will last eternally. Think of it this way. When you're in, hap- in your happy place, if I were to ask you, Tell me about one of your happy places. You might say, well, it's at the beach, or you might say it's in the mountains, or you might say it's on the 18th tee box at Pebble Beach, or whatever. The happy place that you would go to, what does that look like? And, and let me invite you to recognize that when you go to your happy place, part of what happens in your happy place is that you feel that everything is right with the world in that moment. And that's a message from your soul saying to you that all is right with the world, that God is in God's place and you are in yours. There's something beyond us that our soul seeks to find, and that is our relationship with God. And when we have those special happy place kinds of experiences, we realize that the soul is quite important. Your soul connects your thoughts and your sensations, your gratitude and your will, and sends a message to you to your entire being that reminds us that we have a soul. Our souls are a bit like a car. If you keep your car tuned and fueled and maintained, it will run well for you. But if you don't, it won't. It's why it's so important for us to understand the parts of the inner life. Each part must be healthy and working and functioning as God intended. So let's dig a little bit deeper and think for a few moments about what exactly is the soul. And to explore that, we're going to use four concentric circles. The first one is the innermost circle, which is the will. The will is about your ability to choose. It makes you a person, not a thing. When God created, he told Adam and Eve to have dominion over all the earth, that Dominion idea is about the will. Let me read from Genesis 1, verse 26. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, all the small animals that scurry along the ground. And that word reign in there is the same word in the Previous translation that I said to you, dominion, the idea of reign, of dominion, is exerting the will. You had to engage your will when you woke up this morning and decided you were going to come here. And let me say thank you for engaging your will and coming here this morning. The next circle is the mind. In the ancient world, the mind referred to both a person's thoughts and their feelings. And, And you know this to be true. Because you can use your mind to think positive things, or you can use your mind to think destructive things. You can use your mind to do evil things, things that are in opposition to God. Listen to the way Paul said it in Romans 8, 
verse 6. He said, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Did you hear that? Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And another passage from the book of Romans, a couple of chapters later, Romans 12, 2, one that I know is one of Bobby's favorite passages. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Oh, there's a mouthful, huh? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The next circle represents our bodies. Our body is our own little kingdom. It's the one place in the universe where we have our little tiny wills and give our little tiny wills a chance to exert control. We like to be in charge. And our bodies are the one place, at least I think it's the one place, where we think we have total control. But you know as well as I do, if you've lived very long, you know that ultimately you don't have much control over your body, right? They are, our bodies are like little power packs that we would be useless without them. But the body is filled with all kinds of appetites, things that pull at us. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul said, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Our bodies are amazing, but, are not, but our bodies are not just our bodies. The last circle represents the soul. The soul is what integrates all the other parts into a single whole. It's something like a program on your computer. If your program on your computer is running well, you don't even notice that the program is running. It functions properly. But when your computer crashes, when the program doesn't work, oh, it's, it's the end of the world for some of us, right? The soul seeks harmony. It seeks connection with God and with other people and integration. It's why this word integrity is so important. It's why it's such a deep soul word. The human soul seeks to integrate our will and our body and our mind into a whole person. And oh, by the way, when you or I get involved in some kind of destructive habit, whatever destructive habit you want to mention, when we get involved in those kinds of things, what happens is the soul ends up struggling because our behavior is not consistent with the way we're supposed to live our lives. The soul seeks to connect us to other people, to God, as I mentioned already, with creation, our creator. God made us to be connected to him to be rooted in Him the way a tree is rooted in a deep, life-giving stream. Your soul is the deepest part of you. Your soul is what integrates your will, your mind, your body into a single life. When the soul is healthy, it's well-ordered. When there is harmony between these three entities, God, God's intent for us is being realized. Your life and your purpose and your future has everything to do with your soul and your willingness to be attentive to your soul. Let me say that as strongly as I can. Your life and your 
purpose and your future happiness has everything to do with how you cultivate your soul. An unhealthy soul is one that experiences disintegration. And sin, which is separation from God, always causes disintegration of the soul. Ortberg tells a sad story in his book about a businessman that he knew that was totally devoted to his business. He invested in his business with all of his might, all of his will, all of his purpose, and it was everything to him. This businessman had kids, and the kids all knew that they were lower on the totem pole than their dad's job. He built a corporate empire, but his employees all felt used. He and his wife bought a mansion on a hill overlooking the Southern California coast. And if we were to go into his house, we would marvel at the grandeur of his house and the beauty that was there. And yet not long after he bought the house, he had a stroke. And no one came to visit him after he had his stroke. And now he lives in a wheelchair. He breathes from an oxygen tank sitting in his mansion cage. And yet he still obsesses over his empire and his money and what he's built. These are all symptoms of a ruined soul. It reminds me of the story that Jesus, or Jesus' words that he taught us from Matthew 16, verse 26, in which Jesus said, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Did you hear that? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is about when the will and the mind and the body are disintegrated, disconnected from God. Acquiring the whole world would not produce any satisfaction in your life disconnected from God. To lose my soul means I no longer have a healthy center that organizes and guides my life. To lose my soul means I'm a car without a steering wheel, and I might be able to go really fast, but I am headed to a big-time crash. And when you and I neglect our souls, that's exactly what happens to us. We're headed for a big-time crash. Farmers in the Midwest used to run a rope between their houses and the barn when the blizzard warnings came. And the reason that they ran the rope from the house to the barn was so that in the blizzard they could go out and tend to the animals and then find their way back to their house. Because people in the upper Midwest know that there are plenty of people who have died in their very yards because they could not find their way back home. We need a rope from the door of our lives so we can find our way home again. The rope is the soul. A mom struggles to create the perfect home. Her husband doesn't help much. She doesn't tell him how much she resents him, mostly because she's afraid of conflict. She's angry at her kids for not being perfect. She's angry at her kids because they're not doing exactly what she wants them to do at school. She's angry at her kids because they're not making her look like the great mom that she knows she is. 
She's angry because her body is aging. And feeling attractive has been the one unforced sense of worth in her life. And it is ebbing away. She withdraws. She drinks a little too much. She gossips with her friends about other friends. She fills the time. She thinks that her problem is her husband and her kids. She thinks that's where the problems are, or even maybe her age, but that's not her problem. Her problem is her soul. Jesus says, what will it gain you if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Our world has replaced the word soul with the word self, and they are not equal. The more we focus on ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. To focus on my soul means to look at my life under the care and connection to God. To focus on myself apart from God means losing awareness of what matters most. Maybe you've seen a note out there in one of your news feeds about the American, uh, the Journal of American Medical Association, Medical Association that, that printed an article a couple of years ago about the depression issue that is rampant in our society. And in the article, they talked about scientific studies who have measured people's depression over the generations prior to yours or mine. And what they found and what they wrote about in the study is, is that each generation that comes after a previous generation has a three times higher depression rate than the, than the generation before it. Think about that for a moment. With every subsequent generation, from the Journal of, America, of the American Medical Association, they say that each generation has a three times higher percentage of depression issues than the generation before it. Psychologist Martin Seligman has a theory, and his theory is that this is happening, the rise of depression in our society, because we have replaced church, faith, and community with the self. And it cannot stand under that weight. It's ironic, the more obsessed we are with ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. We say, if you're empty, you need to fill yourself. If you're stressed, you need to learn how to take care of yourself. If you're on a job interview, you have to believe in yourself. If you're not getting your way, you have to stand up for yourself. What should you do on a date? Be yourself. Self is a standalone, do-it-yourself kind of unit. The soul reminds us we are not made for ourselves. Think about that great hymn that many of you would know. It's, it, the refrain goes, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Think about if we changed it to, then sings myself, my Savior God to thee. What a change that would be. It's why we need to take time to be alone. I am learning slowly that when I'm alone, I'm reminded that God loves me. It's part of what God has done in me over the last year or maybe a little bit more. That this life is deeper and richer and has more purpose in it when I'm focusing on my relationship with God because what I'm doing then is I'm nurturing my soul and everything else begins to get balanced. 
We often pay far more attention to our work, our bodies, our finances than our souls. But the soul, as I mentioned already, is the only thing that you and I will take into eternity. Nothing else that you have, nothing else that you own will go into eternity with you, just your soul. And yet if your soul is good, if there's balance in your life, the rest of your world could be chaotic, but you will be at peace in spite of the circumstances. Reminds us of what Paul said in Philippians 4, 7. He said, And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that passes all understanding is the peace that comes only from a relationship with Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, it says, You love him, speaking about Jesus, you love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation for your souls. The salvation of our souls is not just about where we go when we die. It is about the healing and deliverance we need at the deepest level of who we are today. And this has everything to do with being spiritually healthy. Now, some of you might be aware that one of John Ortberg's mentors was Dallas Willard. If you've read anything by Dallas Willard, he's one of the, most, uh, one of the deepest thinkers that I've ever read. He's one of, when you read his stuff, what, what I always do is I find myself having to go back and read a paragraph two or three times because I didn't get it the first time. I may not have gotten the second time. I've got to read it four or five times before I really finally get it. And Dallas Willard was a guy obsessed with helping people understand that they've got to deal with their souls. And Ortberg, like any good pastor, when he's needing some guidance he would ask the question, how can I be spiritually healthy? It's a relevant question, not just for a pastor, it should be a relevant question for all of us. How can I be, how can I be spiritually healthy? And Dallas Willard replied, quote, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. We'll unpack more of this in the coming weeks, but for now, let's consider what Willard is saying to remind us that if we don't take the time to invest in our soul, your life is headed for great trouble. You and I must make time to spend time with our Heavenly Father because it is only through that kind of time, that kind of quality time, that our souls will ever be what we need them to be in order for our lives to prosper and have peace in our lives. Maybe you've heard the story about uh, the little boy that w was struggling with his sleep. Not a story that would be unusual for a lot of you parents out there. That at a certain place in a kid's life, when they're finally getting out of the baby stages and the toddler stages, you're trying to get them to sleep in their own room, right? And you pray about it every day. Lord, please let our kid sleep by himself today or tonight, right? And as the story unfolds, the little boy would, would after mom and dad went to bed, he would wander into mom and dad's room in the dark 
and he knew which side of the bed dad slept on. So he would quietly climb up into bed next to dad. And when he'd get into bed, he would realize that his dad was awake. And he would say into the darkness, is your face turned toward me, dad? And the father in the darkness would say, yes, I'm turned toward you. And that's all that the little boy needed to assure him that it was going to be okay so he could go to sleep. I think this is a pivotal question for you and for me. Is your life turned toward your heavenly father? Because if your life is not turned toward your heavenly father, you are in the midst of a great struggle. And without your investment in the things of God, without your investment in the things of God, you will never, ever experience true joy and peace in your life. Our soul, the integrator of mind, body, and will, without our connection to God, it will never be settled. The stream is your soul. You are the keeper. How is it with your stream? Let's pray. Holy God, some of us are pondering right now. We hadn't thought too much about our soul, at least recently. Lord, wherever we are in our journey, whether we're here for the first time or whether we've been here a thousand times, Lord, help us to recognize our deep-seated need for something beyond ourselves, and Lord, help us to recognize that that something is Jesus. May you lead us and guide us in this journey of life, God, so that in all things you would give us your peace and presence. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.